When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Eddie Trunk, and you're listening to the Cobras and Fire podcast. And don't ever let anybody tell you that rock is dead because it is not. It's not going anywhere. As a matter of fact, I say it's coming back big time. Listening to the Cobras and Fire Podcast, part of the Decibel Geek Podcast Network. This week we got a special guest, author, radio host, Sirius XM host, TV personality, noted Giants fan, and all-around good sport. I'm talking about the panty dropping metal aficionado, Eddie Trunk. Enjoy. I'm your host, Liz Cannon, and I am joined, as always, with the, would you prefer to be called Jason or Baco? Baco, how are you, sir? <laughs> I am well. Thanks for having me, Luz Cannon. <laughs> oh, no problem. I just want to make sure I had the, the name right. Do you prefer Luz or Cannon? <laughs> uh, it depends uh, on the day, but uh, thank you. We're both being, the pleasantries here are, are off the hook. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that, that's the way it goes on the Cobras and Fire show. This is a this is a pretty big episode, though. I got I got one question for you, because What's anybody that? listening has already seen the headline and probably looked at the picture. How many people do you think that have listened to our show for a long time think they're about to hear an interview of me interviewing myself as Eddie Trunk? <laughs> Same amount of people think that when they first saw that you interviewed Michael Sweet, you were talking to a pirate. Yeah. <laughs> or we just had Jeff Tate on too. Yeah, oh, that, that, that shocked a few people. J- Jeff Tate. Uh, I mean, pff, my God. I mean, 
everything is coming full circle in the Cobras and Fire world, would you not say? Yeah, and I think we, uh, people can look forward to our interview with LaFonzi next week. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Drink. Yes. Ah, uh, yeah, I had a great chat with Eddie Trunk uh, of Eddie Trunk fame. Uh, oh, yes. he, he's like Sirius XM. He's he's a longtime uh, DJ. Uh, he was part of Megaforce Records during a pretty big time uh, during the eighties. Uh, of course, close personal friend of Ace Freely, a, a right. fairly respected Kiss expert. And I don't know. I think people know who he is, right? Uh, I, I do. I think he also. Uh uh, was part of that metal show. Have you heard of that? Yeah, yeah. That's actually one question I didn't ask him about. But you have to realize, people, that we have finally the trifecta yes. metal show is done. We you, you interviewed who? Don Jameson, Jim Florentine, and of course now the Kingmaker Eddie Trunk. That checked off the list. Next, boom, baby. We yeah. The, so what's next? We uh, we interview everybody who's ever been a host on Three Sides of the Coin. <laughs> uh, no, we want to actually have people listen and enjoy. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brandvold. You're no longer on deck. I don't have a friend. Well, I know the second season of his Access TV show starts uh, next month. But here's the real question: Is there any kiss talk? Yeah. A little, <laughs> yeah. We had to get, we, we got to do a good chunk of kiss. You know, I enjoyed this interview in full, Baco. But can I tell you one of my favorite parts? Oh, please, please do. Sure. Uh, that was when you talked about his appearance on a certain podcast that cannot count the sides of a coin properly. Okay. Yeah, and he had some comments on a certain person whose <laughs> eraser is well worn because he makes a lot of mistakes. Yeah, he, so. you know, like he, he he was Eddie Trunk about the whole thing. He was open, honest, and uh, not very judgmental. And yeah. and you're right. I think people are going to have a little fun with that one. Um, uh, yeah. Look, I would like to thank Eddie for his time. He was he he gave me just a ton of it. And he was just exactly the person that I was hoping to talk to. So I think everybody's going to like it. Any, any last words? Yeah, I just say everybody that's out there, grab a bag of chips and start chomping. Here is Eddie Trunk. Prefer Jason or Baco? Baco, please. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you won't confuse me if you call me Jason, but uh, yeah, I, I typically go by Baco. Okay, cool. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, how about you? You hear me fine? Yep, I do. I'd like to welcome to the program uh, former host of the That Metal Show, currently hosting Trunk Nation on SiriusXM, the Eddie Trunk Podcast on Podcast One, a syndicated radio show, the Eddie Trunk Rocks, and of course, uh, TV show Trunk Fest. Uh, season two debuts on Access on July seventh. You'd think you'd need no introduction, but of course, I'm talking about Eddie Trunk. How are you this evening, Eddie? I'm great, Baco. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. My first question for you is: How many W twos do you have at the end of the year? <laughs> a good amount uh, i really do i it's uh it's pretty ridiculous uh my tax situation i i pay quarterly i pay you know I've, i have a full-time job that takes money out and then i'm paying all the 1099s from various states so my accountant keeps quite busy just trying to 
keep it all straight and I just keep writing checks. But, you know, it's money goes in, money goes out. It's a pretty crazy cycle, but good to be busy, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. I, mean, I think we can all relate to the, the money goes in and out thing, but... Yeah. Um, you know, uh, a few years ago, I don't, I don't remember the exact year, but, but you would have been at M3, which I'm sure you've done a bunch of, uh, I wasn't there, but, but I got a text from my sister, uh, and she was like, Eddie Trunk just walked by me and I yelled, Hey, Eddie. Uh, and it would, so she's a bit of a fangirl or something. And this is probably this will probably be the only episode she listens to our show this year because you know, oh. she's, she's a fan of Eddie Trunk. So if you wouldn't mind, maybe you could say something like, "Hey, was her name Julie?" Because she was a total bitch. <laughs> no. What are you trying to get me in trouble? Her name is Julie, though. Yeah. Oh uh, well, I appreciate Julie being a fan, and I would never call anybody that appreciates what I do a bitch. So uh, thank you, Julie. She did say you turned around and waved at her or something like that. But all right, well that's cool. Yeah, I've done, I've done every M three except uh, one, which actually was this year. But pretty much, I've gotten out there almost almost every year. So it's always a always a fun time, and always meet a lot of cool people and a lot of very supportive fans as well, which is really nice. Cool. Yeah, you know it. It's, it's it always looks like a fun time. The one year uh, Access TV broadcasted, I was kind of glued in my living room uh, during a fairly nice weather weekend in Minnesota. So uh, it, it was. Uh, it looked like I, I kind of wish I would have went out went out there one of the years. But you know, maybe maybe one of these ones coming up. So yeah, for sure. Well, how are the New York Giants going to do this year, Eddie? We got to get into the important stuff. You know, I don't know. I think that they're so they're so. Uh, expected to not be well and there's so much doom and gloom <laughs> that watch this be the year that they actually will do well I, I i'm uh i'm very 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 optimistic every year about my nice. football team um one I, I that's one thing that i guess is a positive is that i always go at it pretty much ha- half gl- uh, glass half full about football so I go into it with a lot of optimism and then, you know, cause the times we've won the Super Bowl, we were never expected to do so. So I, I, you know, until it unfolds, I don't really make any assessments because I'm really not surprised one way or the other, but obviously I'm hoping for the best and it should be interesting to see this running back in his second year and see what sort of transition uh, happens at quarterback. If it indeed does happen this mm-hmm. year. So there's a lot of questions to be answered, but I'm ready for the season and, as a as a Mets fan in baseball, right around now is when that my team in baseball starts to basically fade and fall out of it. So September <laughs> can't get here soon enough. Well, I uh, I I I'm a Twins fan. I don't know if you follow what's happening with them, but this is unbelievable. I I can't remember paying attention this early. Uh, it just it's been a lot of fun winning games and actually like a team that can hit the ball a little bit. So. Yeah, with baseball, I'm not as hardcore as I am with football. With baseball, I'm pretty much exclusively the Mets, and that's all I care about and follow. And then mm-hmm. once they're out of it, I'm out of baseball, and I really couldn't care less what happens, except for I like to see the Yankees not win. But they seem to figure <laughs> out a way to win every year, yeah, so that's, that's a losing proposition. But, um, yeah, I don't have – like with football, I'll watch anybody play. I mean, I'm a Giants fan. Oh, I get you. And I'll, I'll root for of the other – root against the other three teams in the NFC East, and that's pretty much – but I'll watch anyone play in football. But in baseball, if it's not the Mets, I'm not watching, and uh, that's always pretty much how it's been with me. 
I'm I'm pretty similar. I I I pay attention to the the Twins locally when they're good, which isn't often. I'm a, a bit of a fair weather fan. Just throwing it out there. But yeah, the Vikings, uh, good or bad, I'm there every week. I don't watch as many of the other games as I used to when I was younger. But you know, if it's a good matchup, I'll, I'll and I have the time, I'll tune in. But yeah, yeah, we, that's that's uh, that's pretty much where I'm at with with baseball. But football is appointment viewing. There's so few games you gotta you gotta be there to take in every one, and there's always repercussions, even if your team's out of it, as to what's going to go on with the other right. team they're playing or the following year. So I always, you know, that's one of the things that makes football so great to me. Uh, do you ever like make your wife rearrange plans with family or anything like that to make sure that you oh. get to see? Oh yeah. Well, with the Giants, yeah. I mean, when the Giants <laughs> play, I don't, I don't. Uh, I mean, I'm offended that anybody would even ask me to do anything or have a wedding or something <laughs> at the time the Giants are playing. As it should chance. be, Eddie. Your There's favorite not team. Not a chance. I mean, it's, it's it ain't happening. So uh. I uh, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll work when I'm on the road. I'll, which I am so much. I'll. I just I really don't like going to sports bars to watch my team because I really like to focus on the game. But if I'm away from home, I have no mm-hmm. choice. I'll do that. And I also try to plan it if I'm going to be in the air at the time that the game is on. I'll look in advance and try to make sure I book onto a flight that has live TV so that I can at least watch, hopefully. So there's a lot of pre-planning that goes into <laughs> each and every one of those precious uh, 16 uh. Sundays during Giants football season. Uh, I wasn't planning on talking this much sports with you, but I, I would like to just add one thing is that I like to not, I, I like to either watch it at home, but only with like-minded people. Um, I don't I, I don't like getting together with family when there's gonna be a lot of chatter and, and like like oh it's like an event and we all dress up and but we it's hard to watch the game because people are moving and I don't know yeah I don't I don't mind that so much if it's not my team if it's not the Giants, oh sure but... yeah like the Super Bowl or something like that which my team is never in uh <laughs> yeah I'm with yeah them. yeah when it's the Giants though I mean if people are uh, I, I usually just watch alone but if if there's people <laughs> that are gonna come over I they got to know that we're watching the game it's not a party I want to hear I want to watch and you want to talk you do it during the commercials and that's that's the extent of it. Yeah, people know by now I'm pretty serious about that. So right on. I'm ready for I'm ready for it to start, man. It'll be a couple months away, but uh mini camps going, so I'm excited. Cool. I don't think the Vikings have the Giants on the schedule this year, but uh I, I don't honestly have it in front of me. Yeah. So who cares? I think we're playing the AFC East this year because I know we play the Jets, which is always kind of weird, but um, mm. I think that's one of the out of mar- out of conference teams, uh, okay. out of conference uh, sets of games we're playing. Are you, you're disrespecting my squad? Uh, we're in the same conference, Eddie. I meant the uh, NFC East. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, you know, uh, one thing I wanted to do, uh, run over with you. I had the chance this last weekend to catch the uh, Dio hologram show. Um, I, I'm not a big supporter of the idea. Uh, y- you knew Ronnie a little bit. What, what are your actual thoughts on this? And um, let me let's just start with that. I I understand completely people having mixed feelings about it. I can't honestly tell anybody what I think of it just yet because I've yet to see it. Okay. And the one show that I was absolutely planning to go to was the last show of the tour in Vegas because I'm going to be in Vegas at that time, and that show got canceled. So. The one show that I had absolutely earmarked to attend is not happening. And looking at the routing and the scheduling of the rest of the dates, there's just nothing that syncs up with me being able to see it. When it played in New Jersey, I was not home. So um, 
I don't know if and when I'll be able to see it. Mm. Certainly, it doesn't look like I will on this run. But I've taken a lot of calls about it over the course of uh, the announcement of it and it's being out there on my radio show. People have I've, I've heard very mixed feelings about it. I've heard people who loved it, people that didn't feel it was right. I, my brother went to the show in New Jersey. He was a big deal fan. He liked it. So as I've said to everybody consistently about this, I understand all sides of it. I respect everybody's opinions on it, but I can't really give mine on something that I have yet to see. And when I do get a chance to see it, I, I will absolutely give my, my thoughts. But, um, you know, I think, and I've said this consistently, I think that above and beyond the Dio hologram, there are others out there now touring. And I think that if these become successful and we see really big artists get holograms done on them and they are successful... I think you're going to see a boatload of them coming down the pike. I mean, you're going to see more of them than you could ever imagine. And I don't think the Dio hologram or the Zappa hologram or the Roy Orbison hologram, which some of the ones that are out there, I don't necessarily think those are going to be indicators of what happens overall with holograms, because I think the real test is going to be if they do a mega one, like say the Beatles or Queen mm or Hendrix or something like that, if you get, or Bowie, if you get to that level, that, that'll be the real test, I think, to see if people will come out for these. Because, um, you know, Ronnie was, as you know, with his own band, uh, as a solo artist, was, at, if he were still alive, the type of business he was doing at the end of his life was, you know, House of Blues level venues, that, that size. He was not an arena headliner. Correct as a solo act by any margin in his final years as a performer. So it's, you, you have to do that and take that calculation into effect when you think about how many people are going to this and if it's going to be, um, you know, if this technology is going to be something that's going to be supported, I think you have to look at the overall picture and, and all the results have to come in before you find out if people are going to embrace this. My, my short review is that I don't think the technology is there yet. Yeah, some of the people I've talked, and you know, in full honesty, the guy who who's done this, who did the Dio hologram, has become a friend, and his name is Jeff Pizzuti, mm -hmm. and his company is uh, called Eye Illusion, and he has become a, a friend over the last couple of years just in getting to know him. He's originally from, he still lives in New Jersey or New York, he's a local guy, and the one thing I'll tell you for, for people who like or dislike this whole hologram thing with Dio the one thing I'll tell you that I absolutely can tell you for a fact is that the reason that Jeff did this and the reason why it's out there is 100 percent because he is any he, he was an enormous Dio fan. OK, his entire company was built around doing this specific hologram. Now, he's going to do others. And obviously he's in business to make money. But this is absolutely this is not one of these deals where a, a guy had an idea and a, a get rich quick scheme. This is a guy who is absolutely coming at this from a standpoint of being a fan and wanting to, in his view, honor the legacy and keep the music alive. And that, you know, like it or not, you can say whatever you want about it. But that's an important thing for people to know. This guy is a legit D.O. fan and did this because he loved Ronnie and felt it would be a way to keep Ronnie's legacy going.
Yeah, fair enough. Uh, you know, I, I I didn't bring you on to hear my review. I, I gave you my short one. We'll we'll do it at a later show. But I, I I'm glad you at least took a chance to kind of share your thoughts on it. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I understand the, the the differing opinions. I really do. And I I I mean, the the criticisms I've heard is it doesn't look very realistic. It doesn't look like Ronnie. It's set too far back from the stage. It's weird because he doesn't talk talk to or address the crowd. So I've heard all that stuff mm-hmm. from people who have gone. And then I've heard from other people that said, look, you know, it's like seeing a movie and the band is sound, <laughs> the band sounds great and the set list is great. And it was a fun night. So I've heard all sides of it. I look forward to seeing it myself soon and then really being able to make a decision on it. it for me, if you're a fan of love, hate, uh, it's worth the 35 or 40 bucks alone to see Jizzy Pearl. He's got he put together a pretty good band and I, I really I really enjoy most of their catalog. But he sticks to the first two records for the most part. But they sounded amazing. So even if uh, even if I thought uh, the the Holla deal was a train wreck, which I, I don't think it was a train wreck, by the way, uh, just not my thing. Uh, but uh, the love hate thing sold it for me. So maybe there's other people out there on the fence thinking, well, you know, honestly, for that alone is probably worth it if you're a fan. Yeah, I haven't gotten any calls of people. I knew that Jizzy was doing that. I haven't gotten any calls from people commenting on him one way or the other opening the show. But that's uh, that's interesting to hear because I never even considered that. Hmm. Have you ever talked to Jizzy? Uh, privately, yeah. I don't know if I've ever really had him on my show, though. He's a fascinating dude. Yeah. Uh, we I tried to get him on uh, on our show for uh, you know kind of like a uh, ahead of the whole Dio hologram thing going, but he said he wasn't doing any inter- interviews, so I took the blow off and just moved on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he he may want to maybe uh, maybe he's thinking he's flying under the radar a little bit with this one opening yeah. for the hologram or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what his thoughts are. I don't know him that well, but I've met him a couple times. Cool. Um, uh, switching gears a little bit to kiss. Uh, if I under, I've heard you talk about it quite a bit. Uh, hopefully I got some new fresh angles for you a little bit. Uh, but, but if I understand your, your background, you came in around 76 with the destroyer. Is that when you became a fan? That's when I got the, my first kiss record, which was rock and roll over was the new album at the time. Okay. And Destroyer was the first record I bought. That's correct. All right. I, I only mention that because I come in uh, with a live to late 77. Um, so I've been that was fan- the first time I saw them live. OK, my 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 fandom has been pretty lifelong. I, I just wanted you to have that kind of reference point before we carried on. I heard you on another uh, on, on a kiss podcast, uh, three sides of the coin. I really I really enjoyed it. But I, I should preface that by saying I kind of enjoyed it because. I don't think I've ever heard you have a take on Kiss that I personally disagree with. So it's almost like, you know, you're preaching to the choir when it comes to this stuff. When you were on that show, though, and I, I'm not asking you to tear into these guys or anything like that, but but at a certain point for me listening to it, did it ever feel to you almost like that movie Groundhog Day? Like you're, they, they, It seemed like you were getting pulled back to the same point without anything different being added. Like you end up kind of... I don't know. It seemed like they just kind of repeating the same thing. Like, well, don't you think this, Eddie? And... Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think those there's three guys that do that podcast, and I think they all come at it from a little bit of a different uh, perspective, I guess, on things. I none of my, them agree with take, you as far as the Ace and Peter thing, though. Yeah, I yeah, I guess not. I mean, which is fine. Again, I, I appreciate oh, sure. and respect everybody's opinions, but I, I, um, you know, the one guy I forget, I forget all their names, but the one guy who was was clearly like. <laughs> Uh, the, 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 the super fan of, of the group by far, where I remember he was the guy that like literally like was willing to 
think at one point I even said, so you're pretty much willing to accept anything on any day that they're throwing at you. And he's like, yeah, pretty much, you know, I love kiss and anything they want to do is, and I, I, you know, that's, that's kind of stuff is hard for me to process, even though I, I, again, everybody's entitled to like what they want and their opinions. But when, when you get to that level where it's just like, I'm willing to really accept everything and anything that this band wants to do or whatever marching orders they give on any given day that I have a hard time with. Cause I just can't even understand that. I mean, as I've said a lot, the every band that I love, and there are many more beyond kiss, but every band that I've ever loved, I can point to a period in their career that I was not that big of a fan of, that I didn't agree with what they did, that I didn't like the lineup, sure. that I didn't like the music they were making. There's nothing wrong with that. So, um, uh, but I don't, I can't think honestly of any band that I've ever liked that I've literally liked every single era and every single thing and record they've ever done. But he was of that mindset, mm-hmm. and I, I find that pretty fascinating. <laughs> And I'm sorry that you know, I'm sorry that I forget his name. I, I, I believe remember. you're talking about Mark Cicchini. If I'm, if I'm, I think that was the one that you had the, that little exchange with. Uh, yeah, maybe. But he said that you know he he. I remember him saying that he had you know he had the money to do you know all these exorbitant meet and greets, mm-hmm. and he didn't care, and he was happy that these were offered to him and all that. And that's <laughs> again, that's his prerogative. But for me, I, I don't, I don't. I think that being a fan is being able to have these discussions and debate and discuss this stuff and give your honest opinion. And if that's how he feels, he's entitled to that. But for me, it's kind of hard to even have really much of a debate with someone like that because they're basically admitting that whatever the marching orders are that given day is (laughs) how you're going to fall in line. You're not being fair, Eddie. They're giving you a really good guitar. <laughs> I just remember that. He was like trying to, because that whole uh, 20, whatever, the, the ridiculous price Paul is asking for the guitar without a guitar strap. Uh, right. Um, right. Which I heard, which I heard, by the way, uh, the price dropped. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, the, someone, the, someone told me after that aired and I talked about it on my own radio show. Somebody told me that there was a reduction in that package. So the free I guess, you works. know, they're going to they'll shoot for the stars. And then if they don't see action on stuff, they'll adjust accordingly. I remember I got into a little back and forth because Paul Stanley had a Black Friday sale. I think it was this last one. It might have been the year before, though, uh, on broken stage guitars. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, this is getting kind of ridiculous now. <laughs> well, my, my favorite one, you know, joking about this was that one of the other things on the website that you could purchase was the the sword that Gene breathed the fire. Oh, with. you're stepping on me, Eddie. Carry on. Uh, and I just said that, you know, the, the, the tagline on the site said only one available per show. And I said, if Gene starts selling these, he's going to come out every other song and be blowing fire just so he could generate more, you know? So, oh, yeah. uh, I, I, I mean, you, no, anything's possible with these guys. And, uh, you know, we've seen it before. I, I heard you talk about that. And I, and I mentioned at the beginning of the show that we've had a little fun uh, with you on, on our, our program a little bit. So this seems to be a good chance to segue into that. Uh, at least, our listeners, at least some of the core guys, are really going to be disappointed if I don't get into this. Um, that segment uh, was one that, like, first of all, it was brilliant. We joked on our show that you were listening to our program and stealing our format. 
Uh, like, you know, you're secretly just, you know, listening to Cobras and Fire and going, that's how my show's going to go. Literally, that is our, like, when, like, we do kind of two programs where I'll talk to someone like you or we do, like, interviews with different people. Our, the main show with me and the other host, Luce Cannon, we, we basically just talk about things that are going on, you know, much like you do on your show. But then we'll just get into absurd discussions of hypothetical things. And, and your takes, I mean, honestly, they were brilliant. Uh, like, jeans popping out during the, the drum solo just to do blow fire quick. Uh, well, I said he would come out and blow fire yeah. doing best. I mean, honestly, if I could just come up with a capsule of what we do on our show that you would relate to, that is literally it. We'll, we'll do like eight minutes of something like that and then play a song and come back with something new. But uh, um, we, we call ourselves a comedy rock podcast. And over the years, you know, we, we've kind of riffed and, 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 you know, had fun with a lot of different people in the industry. We, we don't take things too serious. You know, the my, my, my partner, he likes to say we, we, we rip on the things we love, kind of like friends or would or something like that right um but uh you have provided us with a with a handful of little things every now and then we'll, we'll actually do something that's scripted and and um when when it time comes up i actually have to play the role of eddie trunk and i do a very horrible eddie trunk impersonation but one of the things i wanted to tell you we did was the uh remember when uh um you were you were about to interview doc mcgee and and it mm-hmm. got canceled very close to the the, the showtime right Oh yeah. Okay. And uh uh and you broke down like how this is like probably something from Paul Stanley, you know, and all that stuff. So we took that as like what if that was literal and what if Paul was like like secretly like knew about this and just waited to the last minute just to get a dig at Eddie Trunk, right? So we had a we had Doc McGee take a phone call in the parking lot of Sirius XM and it was Paul Stanley calling him telling him he couldn't do your show and of course his reasons were just stupid. Uh, I don't know things like that. Um, we did uh, oh we did a rock and pod roast where we roasted all the podcasters with Paul Stanley taking doing the roasting. I'm Paul Stanley, people. I'd like to say it's an honor to be here, but I only agreed to this to take a gig away from Eddie Trunk. Oh, oh yeah! Uh, and that story, the whole Doc McGee thing, is pretty, the way you described it, is pretty accurate. I mean, I didn't hear the bit that you did around it. Hey, this is Doc. Doc, this is Paul Stanley of Kiss. Hey, how you doing, Paul? Say, um... Uh, someone just told me that you're gonna be uh, doing a an interview with uh, Eddie Trunk. Is that is that correct? Of course. Yeah. No. Pull it up in the Sirius XM studio right now. What's going on with you today? You can't do it, Doc. Yeah. I was. Oh, wait a second. But I was actually at. I was. I was doing a pleasantry with you. What's going on with you today? Yeah. I'm sorry, Doc. I don't have time for the pleasantries. Um, That's pretty much exactly what happened. And. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the the i the, the the capper on that story which i don't know if i've ever said was that not about a week or so after that doc the the talent uh, rep for my show uh, doc, doc called him uh and apologized for that and said you know what i i have no issue with eddie at all and if he'll have me i would love to come on his show and still do that i don't care let's do it and I've seen Doc since then, and we've talked a little bit as well. So I understand, as I said to everybody, I don't expect the the <laughs> manager of a band yeah. of that size to piss off one of his biggest clients just to come on my radio show. I, I don't I understand the the politics of it there, but 
I just found it uh, pretty funny that it was to that degree that Doc had to basically do a Yui in the parking lot five minutes before yeah. coming up. It was so it's so silly when you think about it because, in all honesty, if that interview would have happened, sure Kiss would have been a part of it. But I was more interested in Doc's entire career mm-hmm. and story, and it was not going to be. And I and I'm not stupid. If Doc came in, I was not going to put him on the spot to make him bash his biggest client. I know he couldn't do that. I wouldn't right. make him do that. I've been doing this long enough to know I, I, I would never put him in that position. If he wanted to debate things, I would absolutely be doing it. But you know, I wanted <laughs> to talk about Bon Jovi and Scorpions and his Motley Crue and his whole career, which, you know, is really, really interesting. So that's again, the real you know, point, I'm, though. I, what's that? That's the real point is that you could have done a very entertaining show and never talked about Kiss once. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I may have even done that just for the just to screw people up and just for the fun of it, because mm-hmm. they all would have expected this big, huge Kiss debate. Which again, if you wanted to go there, I would do that. I would do that with any of the members of Kiss too. I mean, that's the crazy thing about the whole Kiss thing is you know the the whole issue is 100% rooted with Paul, and it's unfortunate because he was always my fa- favorite member of the band. But I get it. And you know what? I'm lucky that I mean they certainly don't need me, and I'm fortunate that. After doing this my whole career, I my plate is more than full, and I get by just fine without them. But it is, it is unfortunate because they were such an important band to me, and I know that at least Gene, I know would love to debate and discuss all of this stuff with me in a in a respectful, fun way. But he can't. He can't because it would same reason why Doc had to pull a U-turn. Um, you know, people, I don't know how many people realize this, but it's been documented now. I mean, Paul Stanley runs Kiss. Paul yeah. is the boss. And even Eric Singer said that in a recent interview. So he can't right now. He wanted, you know, the, the people who did the vault thing, they wanted him to come on my show in the worst way. I even saw the exchanges about it. And he said, you know, he can't because of Paul. So, they're all going to like, you know, as long as the kiss thing keeps going for however much longer it goes, they all have to kind of do this. But, you know, watch when it's over, if and when it's ever over. I'm sure some things will change and some of these guys will be stepping up and coming on and having some fun talking with me about this. And I welcome it. <laughs> I look forward to it. Honestly, I, I I really wish they would all kind of cut a vein a little bit and step back and just realize that they, they, they won. They got everything they want. Have a, have an honest, you know, look back at your career and, and have, have a few laughs. It's, it's, it's just music, man. Yeah. I mean, I just think, I think, I think probably all three of those guys could do that except for Paul. Mm-hmm. I think he's way, way, way. Yeah, I mean, well, look, I, I don't have to think by his own admission, as I've said many <laughs> times, he is extremely sensitive and has a lot of issues. This is the guy admits in his own book that he has been, you know, in in therapy for a really, really long time. Uh, you know, it's the first book. He says he checked himself in at a really young age. Nothing wrong with that. But no. he's admitting that 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 is, you know, he's had issues with sort of sensitivity and dealing with stuff for a long, long time in his life. And that's unfortunate and whatever. But I mean, I, I just it can't. You know, I, I have to do what I do. Mm-hmm. They do what they do. It's all good. I, I've said so many times to people, regardless of the 
a lot of the nonsense, by the way, there's so much stuff that's been overblown and taken out of context, too, over the years. But regardless of all of that, I still identify as a KISS fan very proudly. I just always say, you know, I'm a KISS fan from year 2000 back. And 2000 back, you could ask me anything and I could talk about anything and I could tell you everything in its inside out from every lineup to every member to every record they made in the 80s without makeup. The Probably the biggest fallacy that's out there sometimes about me is that I'm the Ace and Peter only guy and that I don't know or like, you know, stuff that was wasn't the original band that that couldn't be further from the truth. And, uh, you know, I've countless examples of proof of that. Sure. And, uh, I was extremely supportive of all that. And all of those other replacement members were all friends. Eric Carr was a dear friend that I miss to this day. So that's just the most erroneous thing I've ever heard, but it's the convenient out for people who are just going to hate without even really knowing the facts because, of my relationship with Ace and Peter, and, you know, that's fine. I'll live with it, but it's just silly. Yeah, you know, with that, it, it, I think the frustrating thing as a fan, and you made the best point, you can't really argue with these people, um, but when you say something like you're not cool with Tommy and Eric wearing Ace and Peter's makeup, they get all defensive, and and suddenly you have now have a problem with Tommy and Eric. You know, and they're they're fine musicians; they do a good job. I don't care about that. And I know that's exactly what you've said countless times. But yet, it, in one ear out the other, for a lot of these people, yeah, yeah, and that's that's unfortunate. But that's how they see it, and that's how they are. And it really is unfortunate because I've known Tommy and Eric long before they were actually even members of. Kiss. And, uh, you know, I knew Tommy when he was in black and blue and worked for Kiss. And I, you know, knew Eric when he was not in Kiss and when he was in Kiss. And we have a, we we all have a ton of mutual friends, mm -hmm. very some very close. So it's, um you know, it's just it's silly. And, you know, I really laugh about all this with a guy like Eric Singer, who, again, I've never said anything negative about those guys as people or players and also don't blame them for at all for taking that gig because who wouldn't if they're not doing it someone else would so why not go make that check and live that world i think so somebody I would turn it some people would turn it down I don't know. I mean, it's it's a pretty nice paycheck and it's a pretty yeah. nice way to travel and see the world but regardless uh, the funny that to me the greatest irony and i've said this before knowing eric singer as i did he is one of the most, at least privately, outspoken and opinionated people that I ever remember <laughs> talking to. And if he himself did not have the gig, I could, as a Kiss fan, I could only imagine what yeah. he would say. Like, in other words, if he was not, if somebody else was sitting down at a piano dressed as Peter Chris and singing best. He'd be crucifying them. Yeah. He'd be having so much fun at their expense. Maybe not publicly, but sitting around having a beer privately like, Jesus, you got to be kidding me. But, you know, he's in that situation. So I get it. He's going to do his job. But <laughs> it's funny. He, you know, these people, I, I know these guys would love to debate and discuss this stuff. But again, there's a gag order. The marching orders come from above and it's fine. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, but you talked about Eric Singer reminding me. We also did a bit where, because there was an issue where Eric kind of ignored you at NAM. You, you were talking about it on your show, um, where Eric called you. He, so, so we reenacted a phone call where he basically admits that he had to hide from you because of Paul. And you, of course, are like, I knew it. And then uh, it turns out he's calling from Paul's house on the landline and Paul's listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
it's so silly, but yeah, that's of course actually, Paul's all bitter. Uh, yes. So anyway, so the reason you know that I'm calling back is I wanted to apologize because I didn't mean to blow you off. It's just the fact that yeah, I was like waving it, and yelling, and you just kept walking. I know that. We've already established that many times. It's taken a minute almost for, for you to set the scene there. Can I continue? Yeah, what was that all about? <laughs> I'm about to tell you. And I, I got to tell you, about my whole apology, I'm thinking about retracting it here unless you let me speak. So I was calling because I, I didn't mean to be rude. It's just the fact that I am extremely paranoid. I, 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 I think Paul is following me. And when I saw you, you know, I, I thought he was – I thought he was right around the corner, possibly, and I was going to be in big trouble. I was going to lose my gig. I knew it. I knew it. So, yeah, Eddie, I think you're a cool guy. It's just the fact that, you know, I always think Paul's right around the corner. In fact, I'm always so paranoid uh, just to make Paul happy. I've 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 bought a whole whole closet full of silk shirts. He likes those. I got I clean my shoes. I got Eric. Who are you you talking to? I'm I'm even I'm I'm working. I'm working double shifts at Rock and Brews. Who are you talking to? Eric. What? Eric, oh, who are you talking Paul, to? Paul, how are you on the phone? How'd you get on a three-way call? It makes no sense. Eric, you're using my house phone. Yeah, and that actually did happen. I, know. I, I, I mean, I don't know about the part with Paul in the call. That didn't happen. Oh, no, but, no. I mean, yeah, I'm just I, the, the, the whole thing. Now, like I said, we kind of take our own direction from these things. Yeah, I just wanted to, you know, I have you on the show. It's my first opportunity to talk to you. I should at least mention it and thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad I could provide some material. I, it's, it's, some of it's not all that embellished from yeah. what you're telling me. But. <laughs> uh, oh, that's funny. Hey, have you ever, um, uh, have you are you familiar with the there's a Paul Stanley parody account I think it's like PAW Paul because uh, every now and then he'll tweet something he'll throw like a little dig in at Eddie Trunk I know yeah I've seen that a couple times some people have pointed me pointed that out to me <laughs> is the picture of the guy that is ID'd in it he's bald in the yes, picture I think yes. yeah I've seen it yeah, I've uh, seen it's, it. hilarious. I, it's I, very specific humor for anybody listening but it's a, it's pretty funny stuff. Yeah, I don't know who runs it, and uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't engage with it one way or the other. But a couple times, <laughs> it was called to my attention that yeah. there was some. And look, I got a sense of humor about that stuff, even if people want to have some fun at my expense. I mean, whatever, man. It's it, you know, as long as it's not malicious or it's fine, and and I I can laugh at myself as much as anyone else. But uh, I did, you know, I've, I've heard about that and seen a couple of those posts. Well, I know there was a time when you didn't have this kind of like uh, antagonistic relationship with kiss that it seems was really tied to paul i heard a rumor and that that, that's a pretty clear thing i want to say like this is um from a guy locally who who knows somebody who worked with vh who knows somebody who worked with vh something like that you know what i mean it's very disconnected and it's been years can i ask you about this rumor to see if you know anything about this sure okay the rumor was told that the, the that Paul's issue with you started with the VH VH1 Rock Honors, and uh, somehow some something to do with you having Ace involved with uh, that supergroup that played right before Chris. Is there anything to that that you're aware of? Uh, yeah, I don't know if it necessarily started there, but there absolutely um, was some stuff that went on around that for sure, and I was a producer on that show. I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't involved in it at any level except for behind the scenes. If people saw the show, you know, I'm credited on it as a producer because I was brought in in that capacity. And one of the things that I was uh, I was told to do was work on the whole kiss thing, because the, the weird thing about any 
issue or frictions with me and Kiss is the fact that most people identify that band most closely with me. Like, in other words, I don't mean that in the sense that I, I don't, uh, that came off the Mm -hmm. wrong way. What I mean by I am from people who know me and know me personally and have known me for my whole life, know me as the kiss guy, you know, like, like growing up, I'm talking long. That was my introduction to you in the late nineties, uh, something on the internet. Yeah. I mean, long before I was, uh, even that well known in TV or radio or whatever, as a kid, little kid, long before I got into this, I was the kiss guy in high school. I mean, I was the guy who worshiped and fought for and defended kiss, even at their most uncool periods. And trust me, they were uncool periods. And, uh, (laughs) I'm aware that, that, so, so that was, that's the irony of all of this is that people still think of me when it comes to kiss as the person with the answers or the insights or whatever, because of my decades of support and open love for that band and their importance to me, which again, I'll never renounce. So when that show came about and kiss was going to be one of the bands being honored, the 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 heads of VH1 brought me in. They they hired me to to work on that show with them and to provide insights and ideas and specifically for the Kiss portion of it because of my love of Kiss. How should this go down? What do you think would be the best thing? And the immediate problem, you know, just like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. the immediate thing and the immediate issue out of the gate is the the heads of vh1 well we want the original band they're the ones that should be celebrated and i said well yeah i agree but i don't know if that's going to work i don't know if they're going to sign off on that so that's where the whole thing started and then you know i started dialogue with ace and peter and the the head of talent at the time i'm sorry eddie i have to correct you there you mean Catman and spaceman oh please (laughs) i knew you'd love that (laughs) please So so I I started, I called those guys and then we started that. And then the head of VH1 at the time in the talent department started dialogue with Gene and Paul. And it real, they realized that he came back to me and said, they're not going to let Ace and Peter play. And we got to think of some other ideas and how we can incorporate them. And I, that ended up putting me on an email chain with, with Paul and Gene at the time. And you also have to understand that over the history of all these ups and downs with these guys, there have been ups and downs. Like for instance, there have been, because see, I don't know what they hear. So I never know if it's a good day or a bad day, if I'm the good guy or the enemy. Oh, I and, get you. And I, cause I'm completely oblivious to what they are hearing from either super fans who just want to throw gas on this and paint me as an enemy things taken out of context, things people say that aren't true. I never know what is in their head. And, you know, a a great example of that is a number of years ago, Paul Stanley was at my FM radio show in New York City, Q104. And he, at that point, I was on the outs with him, apparently. And one day I go in to do that show, and in the computer is an ID, a liner, that he recorded the day before, which I didn't ask for. I wasn't there. I had nothing to do with. And I have it. I have the proof. I have, have him saying this, <laughs> saying, you know, you're listening to my loyal fan and friend, Eddie Trunk. So I'm like, 
wow, I guess I'm cool with this guy now. Who I maybe heard something good. I don't know. A couple days later, he was doing one of his art deals by my house. I went to see the art. He was there. And he basically, the long and short of it is he saw me and ran out the back door. So it, I was like, wait a minute. In 24 hours, I went from being loyal fan and friend to the guy you're, you're, you're running from. It just, it, you, you just don't know because maybe at the art thing an hour before I got there, somebody decided, oh, I'm going to get in good with Paul and talk shit about Eddie to him. I mean, you just don't know. People are wacky. They do stuff like that. So I never know what he's hearing and what's really going on. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what to think. So when the rock honors deal came around, same deal. I didn't know where I stood with him and I started getting on these email exchanges and I don't remember what the trigger was, but the long and short of it was this, they were not approving anyone that we were pitching to do the tribute to them. The structure of that show was the, the band being honored. And before that band played a band that loved them or influenced, were right. influenced by them would play a tribute to them. It was and a great could, idea, by the way, I love the concept and I really enjoyed the first year that they did it. Yeah. Well, the show was my, not my idea, but the idea for it was that it would become like a competitor to the rock. And exactly. Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. And it never panned out and it didn't do well in the second year. It changed, they changed the format and then it just fell apart. But I was brought in to work on the, so then I end up getting put on the band that's going to do the tribute to kiss. And that became my project. And from the get go, I was pushing Rob zombie to be the singer. We already had, uh, Slash, it was. I remember that band was like Slash, Tommy Lee, Gilby Clark, um, Scott Ian, who played bass, and we needed the singer. And everyone agreed the singer needed to be a, a known, identifiable, big name guy. Correct. And I kept pushing for Rob Zombie because I knew Rob, and I and I know Rob, and I know Rob is a legit Kiss fan, and Rob is a very recognizable guy. So he checked every box. At that time, and this is the God's honest truth, the pushback that we were getting and I was getting was that Kiss didn't want, or at least Paul or Gene or someone didn't want Rob Zombie because they didn't feel he was current and contemporary and hip enough. They were all about the youngest, hottest, cutting edge, up and coming guy appearing to be a Kiss fan. Any That's names? always been their trip. All of these older acts always want the youngest, coolest guy of the moment to take a knee to them. That's what they really like seeing. It makes them look contemporary and cooler. Um, I remember when I did the interview for Kissology, for, for the first Kissology for VH1, and I did that with Gene and Paul, they pushed to have Scott Weiland as the co-host of that interview with me. <laughs> Scott Weiland was supposed to be the co-host. Was he? Why rehab? would Scott Weiland be sitting there? He could barely get out of bed. But they wanted a uh. guy beyond me because it would make them look cool that the singer of Stone Temple Pilots was such a fan and was willing to do the interview. We, well, the show happened and people saw it. I did the interviewing. Scott Weiland was a no-show. So same sort of deal with Rock Honors. And I kept pushing for Rob, and I remember they came back with Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park, okay. 
And all these people, I'm like, guys, those are not recognizable figures. This is what we should be doing. And nobody could reach an agreement. And then VH1 had to make a move. And they just said, we were like a week out on that show taping. And we didn't have a singer for that band. And that's when my boss said to me, you know what? Screw it with these guys. You need to go get, go call Rob. Let's just do Rob. They're going to have to deal with it. And then I had to make a call to Rob Zombie. And here's a little, little message. Like if you call someone to be a singer or a part of a major TV show a week before the taping, that person's not dumb. They know they weren't the first call. (laughs) They know, (laughs) they know, you know, that somebody canceled or that there was a problem because Rob's not dumb. I remember him saying to me, okay, so what happened? Why am I finding out a week before? Yeah. And I was just straight with him. I was just like, look, man, you know, there's a lot of back and forth about trying to agree on who it was going to be. I was with you the whole time. And if you want to do this and I'll never forget, Rob was doing Letterman for his new record in New York. And we shot that show in Vegas. And, um, I had to, uh, you know, Rob flew in day of with no rehearsal and jumped in and fronted that band that day. And then the last thing, since you're asking me about this story and I give you some good stuff here. Yes. Um, Peter Chris just checked out completely. Peter was like, from the minute I approached him, his attitude was like, wait a minute, you want me to go to an award show and sit and watch someone dressed as me but I'm being honored. Yeah. He said, I'm, I'm staying home. I'm not doing it. And I respected his decision. And he, that's why Peter had no involvement in it at all. And he checked out from the minute from that, from the get go. Ace, we had more conversation about it. And my thing to ACE was, Hey, be the bigger guy, show up. They're going to have to answer the questions as to why you're not playing. And Ace, <laughs> so the idea was Ace wasn't going to come to just sit in the stands and watch someone dressed as him playing. So that's when the idea came up. Let's have Ace be a surprise guest with the Tribute Act. And that's exactly how it all went down. And I'm sure those guys hated that and saw me as the guy behind it. And that's probably one of the many things that they didn't like at the time. But in that case, I got my orders from above. VH1 yeah. had, had enough of the back and forth with them that they just said, we were under the gun, and they just said, go and see if you can still get Rob. Let's save this thing. And that's what I did. And the other thing I remember about that is Ace almost didn't come down and play. He was so freaked out about the prospects of seeing Kiss without him in it with someone yeah. impersonating him that he didn't want to leave his room the day that we shot that. And I got. I was on the phone with them from the backstage. I said, "You can't do this because if you're, you're going to play into everything they say about you, I said you don't have to see it, you don't have to watch it, but come and do your bit, and then you can go back to your room." And he came, he played, he did his bit, and actually he did hang out in the hallway. And if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in this world, there is a photo of him standing with the the current lineup of Kiss, meaning Tommy as him. <laughs> and ace out of makeup, and it's one of the most bizarre things I ever saw. You know, I think I just cracked the code. Uh, that's exactly why Paul's mad, and uh, cheers for me. Uh, no, th- that is amazing, Eddie. Jesus. No, that's that's. But honestly, man, that's just that's probably just one of a lot of. Uh, yeah, things. I, 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 think, I, I get you. I, and look, I don't expect 
him to like all of my positions on him and what he says and does and the fact that I call some of this what I see as kind of hypocrisy out. But, well, you know, and, and, and to some degree, yeah, I do back up Ace and Peter a little bit because I, I just like anyone, I'm sick and tired of the the bashing of those guys as drug addicts and alcoholics because yeah, they were that at one point in their life, but how about some credit for what they've become and how they turn their life around? You don't have to have them back in the band, but you know, people change and evolve and Paul will be the first to tell you about it. And he loves to talk about his evolution. He's written two books on it. <laughs> so, I mean, why can't Ace and Peter be different people now? But every time, because it's a convenient out for them when asked about the reunion question, they have nothing else but to point to that. And I just think that that, above anything, is really, really unfair. And knowing Ace and Peter like I do, I know that that really hurts them. And it's yeah. kind of like old at this point. So there's it's a cumulative thing. But the last thing I'll say on it is the, 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 the one thing that never gets reported the 95% of the positive things that I've done and said about Paul Stanley and Kiss. Those are never reported. Those are never acknowledged. The yearly specials I do playing all of their music on the radio in, right. in New York, all of these things I do, that's completely swept under the carpet. You know, you know, the world we're in today, the clickbait is the big headline and the big dirt. And that's what always is going to be gravitated towards. I will tell you this to to your actual point there. I think you're right. As far as the stuff that gets, gets a headline or gets talked about, that's correct. But honestly, I think most I mean, even the people that are going to this and these end of the road shows, I think most of us who are familiar with you are aware of your kiss fandom, you know, as much as you're associated with, there are just, I think it's easy, you know, to, to of, the negativity gets the headline is really all I'm getting at there. Oh yeah, of course. And you know, it's funny that you say that because there are a lot of people that the people who are still on board with, with kiss and are going to these shows that are friends, they, they can't, <laughs> they can't deal with the fact that I won't go and don't go like they, <laughs> they're so, crazy about me just going one more time uh, just a That's week nuts. ago sebastian bach was on my show and he was just wanting to take me with him and wanting to put a mask on me so no one saw me and like he's so crazy and i respect the hell out of that passion i really do but i i can't be a hypocrite i can't sit there and say i feel one way and then all of a sudden exactly uh, you know it just doesn't, and I and I went. By the way, I I tried. I did go one time. The last time I saw them was probably like '08, and it didn't feel right. It didn't sound right. It didn't look right. And I just, it was just not for me. And that's when I respectfully checked out. But whatever's happened since then, I mean, you know, people love to have fun with this stuff, and I get it. But uh, I don't judge anybody one way or the other. My door is sure. open to all, and I don't, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, and, I, and I think your thoughts in the Hall of Fame in general are, are pretty well known. Let me ask you just a hypothetical. Do you think Kiss would have got in sooner had they had they just retired after the end of the farewell and never restarted the whole thing back up? No, I don't think it had anything to do with it. I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, openly hated Kiss, <laughs> uh, openly to the point that a couple of the people on their nomination committee one for sure publicly said as long as he's on the nomination committee, he would do everything in his power to make sure kiss did not get in. Is that Jan, and, uh, uh, Jan Werner? Is that the guy or no, no, it was actually, um, 
uh, I think it was Dave Marsh. It was the, the okay. guy who was very tied in with Springsteen. And Springsteen's oh. manager, Springsteen's manager, <laughs> Springsteen's fucking band got in after without Springsteen. Right, right. But there were a couple people. There were a couple people on their their nomination committee that openly just said, you know, they, they, as long as we're here, these guys will never get in because they same old thing. They hate Kiss. They don't understand it, and they don't think it's you know valid. So. I think that I hate uh, Brett Favre. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, you got to look at it. That there's plenty of people that I'm a voter for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is ironic. And as a voter, I mean, every year I do my votes openly and on my radio show and yep. post them on social media. And there's tons of people I vote for every year that I'm not personally a huge fan of, but I can acknowledge their importance and influence, and that they should go in. And anybody that can't acknowledge uh, the influence and importance of Kiss is just it's just clueless. I mean, it's, it's, it's idiotic. Uh, you can debate all you want who should and shouldn't have went in and how they should have handled it from a member standpoint, but the, the band and the entity itself, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to even debate <laughs> whether they're worth going in or not. It really is. They should have went in, they should have went in a year or two after they were eligible. Yeah. I, I would say for their, for, they should have been a first ballot. I mean, uh, I what? don't think I don't, I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this, uh, I, I don't think they did the, the area where I don't think they did themselves any favors is the way they handled it. Their refusal to play. They kind of went in with an attitude. They kind of went in reluctantly almost. You're talking and about Gene I, and Paul. It seemed like Ace and Peter embraced it completely. Yes, you're right. And I think that that probably didn't do them many favors. And I sat with Ace and Peter at the induction at their table and they, you know, they were, up for it for the you know and into it for the night and i think gene and paul were just like especially paul i'm going to get in there and get out of there as quickly as yeah. possible and i think that that attitude about their approach to it probably played into a little bit of you know you've, you still to this day hear paul say how disrespectful yeah. he thought they were treated i think that it was sort of like they felt you know, the hall of fame maybe felt like it was a little bit of a two-way street yeah, probably. I, I I can tell you as a fan, it kind of stung a little bit. I you know I, I'm a I'm a grown man. I probably shouldn't take it too personal, but it did matter to me. And to see that kind of like pettiness and and like you can't just suck it up for for one one or two songs, you know, just go out without the makeup and play with these guys. Play Strutter. Play Deuce. Just you know, I don't know. Well, again, I, I I mean, I don't want to eat up your entire time talking about Kiss. I know people love to talk to me about <laughs> it. <right? laughs> yeah, I, it's my I fault. No I, well, but I'm, and I have no problem talking about it, but the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is something that I can do hours on because whether anybody wants to admit it or not, I was intensely involved in that. I voted for them mm -hmm. for Kiss consistently. I fought for them to get in. I had conversations with Tom Morello, who did the induction and who also was on the nominating committee and really responsible for getting them in. But Tom and I are close friends and we had talks right up till Tom's speech. Tom was asking me some questions about the speech and some asking me for some help on things. So I was, you know, I, I think Paul has taken some shots over, you know, not, not naming me by name, but kind of alluding to, you know, people having something to do with that, that had nothing to do with it. Well, he's talking about me. He couldn't, couldn't be more wrong because, I was not only fought like hell for them to get in, but I was more involved behind the scenes than he'll ever know in pushing that to get them in. And then when the dividing line came down, same deal as the rock vault, as the, as the rock, uh, rock honor show, 
Uh, of course, the Hall of Fame wants the original band to play. Yep. Same deal. Gene and Paul won't allow it. So the same sort of battle lines were drawn. And those battle lines came down to a very simple thing. The reason why Kiss did not play is Gene and Paul insisted on playing with the current band. Ace and Peter said, if we're sitting there and we have to watch yeah. a band with two guys dressed as us who are not being inducted, playing our parts, and you expect us to sit there and watch that, we're not showing up. You cannot so the blame of- them for that attitude. That is and, ridiculous. And that was their only recourse. So that's what that. So the, the concession and the way that it was all worked out was basically like, okay, nobody plays. And that's exactly what happened. And that, that I'll tell you what, that just sucks for us, the fans. Yeah. That Kiss, Gene and Paul, for all they talk about as the fans are the boss and how much the fans are important, <laughs> all any fan wanted was that moment. And we were denied it because they refused to give us two or three songs with the original band. Even Cheap Trick, who had lawsuits going with Bunny Carlos, got up there and played with him for three songs. Got done playing, they went their own way. Exactly. But, but bon Jovi Gina did it Paul too. Couldn't do it. Gina Paul couldn't and wouldn't do it. And what should have been an amazing moment for Kiss fans is now a little footnote, and we don't even have uh, you know a performance. And I maintain that that photo of them all wearing their sunglasses inside, which was weird to me, always was, um, against that backdrop of them holding their Hall of Fame things, as it stands now, is probably going to be the last time anybody ever sees the original four guys standing shoulder to shoulder. And that is the last time. Just like the last time Ace and Peter will have ever played together, if it stays this way, which is probably going to be the case, was uh, a party for my radio show six years ago. And, and, you know, it's a shame. These guys are still alive, but time's flying. And, you know, it's a shame that these things are like these, these benchmarks that you, you think, wow, that, that was it. That's, that's how, you know, we're going to have our last vision or last memory of the original lineup is an, an event that they didn't play at standing there holding statues that they kind of reluctantly got, or at least two of them. I suppose it could be worse, but yeah, I, it is kind of sad just knowing that it didn't have to be. No. You uh, you scored one of the first interviews with Vinnie Vincent when he came out of hiding uh, at the Atlanta Rock and the Atlanta at Kiss Expo, right? Yeah. Uh, now, what, if I recall right, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm doing everything here as far as the timeline off of memory. Um, this was going to be a much longer interview. It, it just like it, typical of anything. You weren't even. It got to the point where you were scared it wasn't going to happen. Was is that how? I, am I remembering that right? That is correct. He was late. And my show is a live show, and it is from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time daily. And at, it actually ends at, a, you know, more accurately, about 3.55 p.m. Eastern. I have to be done at that time. Yeah. And if not, it goes to the next show. So my window was closing rapidly. I think he was supposed to do the second hour with me at 3. And I think he ended up showing up at something like 3.40. <laughs> so we had maybe 16, 17 minutes with him. And that was that was it. But I was worried as it got in later into that second hour that if he didn't get there before I ended, that 
I would not have had him on at all and would have missed the whole thing. Yeah, uh, it, it wasn't a very groundbreaking interview, kind of probably because of that. Uh, have you kind of followed what's been going on with him since? I mean, he's had a bunch of postponed and canceled shows. Oh, God, he's basically destroyed like his own, you know, uh, social media pages. And yeah, I don't I'm not a Facebook guy, so I don't really see a lot of stuff on Facebook. But I know that I know of all the cancellations and I know of what went on. And there was a lot more than I wanted to get into with him in the time that I did have with him. And I just you're right. I mean, it just it just went by so quick. I didn't have a chance to really to really do an interview with somebody like that. First time you're hearing from them in 20 years or whatever it is. You really need to sort of work into it. You need to build into some of the tough questions. And I just had no time to do that. I just had to get as much of the surface stuff out right out of the gate. Show ended. He went on his way and did his thing. And that was the only contact I've had with him uh, since. And, you know unfortunately just on the sidelines watching it all it's basically pretty unfortunate that all the same things that he's had issues with and been accused of continue to be (laughs) issues for him i mean really funny thing was i was listening to uh mitch lafon's podcast on a plane a couple weeks ago and both Vinny like Vinny and even Mitch was going, oh, that this this thing in uh, at SIR, this speedball jam, there's no way that gets canceled. And Vinny is berating anyone that would even insinuate that the yep, thing gets I heard canceled. It. And they're like, you know, like laughing at anybody even. Well, well, well there is some justification for thinking it could get canceled because of the history. But Vinny was like, as of like, he thought it was outrageous to even suspect it would be canceled. And literally the plane touched down after the podcast ended. And I turned my service back on on my phone. And the first text came in was from a friend saying, Vinny just canceled the speedball thing. (laughs) I'm like, you couldn't make this up. So I, I I don't know what's going on there. I don't know the guy. I don't know. I just had Carmine a piece on my show, uh, who who was supposed to be part of one of these canceled yep. things, and Carmine said that in his view, you know, Vinny's blaming people, but the people he's blaming had nothing to do with these things being canceled, and I, it just seems really really crazy uh, that world around him, and I see that happen a lot, man. I think that. When people are on the sidelines from the music industry for a really long time and they want to stick their toe back in it or come up and get into it again, they really have a hard time figuring out how to do that and how to surround themselves with the right people and how to navigate what the business is now versus when they left, which is very, very different. Yeah. Did you ever talk to him back in the day, uh, like with Kiss or Vinnie Vincent Invasion? Very little. I really didn't know him. I I met him when I was a kid when he joined the band on Lick It Up. I went to a couple signings. I went backstage at a show in Massachusetts on the Lick It Up tour. I probably met him nothing more than a hey, how you doing handshake sort of deal. I did interview him for the Vinnie Vincent Invasion. It's around the time where I got to know him the best, but I would never say that he's a guy that I actually knew and was in close touch with. Never got a good read on the type of person he is or anything like that? No, I mean, I've talked in depth with Mark Slaughter and Dana Strum about him, including just Mark was on my show last week and I talked to him about it because I said to Mark, I said, you, 
you're the one guy that at least the interview I did with Vinny, he had a big issue with everybody else. He was like <laughs> you and Paul, who he called mean Mr. Mustard on my show. Yeah. That was awesome. By the way, that was the highlight for me. Yeah. But I said, you and Paul are the only people he had a problem with. And even Paul, he softened on, but you, and I said, what's up with that? And you know, Mark's a great guy and he gave a very diplomatic answer, yeah. and, you know, but it's just, yeah, it's, it's hard to figure. Um, switching gears from the whole Kiss universe, uh, I think we gave the Kiss nerds enough there. Um, when you do a lot of these like uh, things where you show up and you host, you know, different type of events, concerts, and you go on the the cruises and stuff, uh, curious when you do these things, do you do you, do you travel alone? Do you bring your wife? Uh, what what kind of traveling uh, companion do you go with? Usually just me. My you know, I have two kids. We have two kids that are uh, eleven and fifteen years old, so they are. Uh, her full-time job because I'm out running around doing all this stuff, which is all, you know, as much as it's fun is all work for me as well. So she, and she is not into um, this music. She's not a hard (laughs) rock fan. She's not a metal fan. She's not cut from this cloth. So it's, it's not like she feels like she's missing out. These are not shows that she would normally want to go to. We have pretty different musical tastes. So, um, you know, my world is my world and, uh, we're lucky that, uh, you know, I'm lucky that she gets that and understands that now these days, a lot of it includes travel and it all works out. And thankfully, you know, business has been good and work is good and things are busy and the bills are paid. And my, our two kids are, especially our daughter who's 15 is going to be thinking about college in a year or two and somebody's got to pay for that. So I hustle and, you know, I don't, I'm not on the road nearly to the level of a touring rock musician. I mean, I I have friends like Frank Bello from Anthrax or Mike Portnoy that are literally gone 11 months out of the year and they've got wives and kids at home. And that's what, you know, they, they're gone constantly, you know, I'll go for a long weekend or at the most I'll go for a week and be home for a couple weeks. So it's a lot of back and forth like that. But in the last three years or so, definitely my travel has been more than it's ever been, but I'm fortunate to have the opportunities I do when they make sense. I got to go do them. Yeah, these, these these cruises sound uh, like a lot of fun. All right, I, I assume you're just out and about. You're not like holing up in your room. You just kind of do your thing when you need to, and just taking the the boat the rest of the time. Yeah, the the cruises. I've been lucky enough to be the host of the Monsters of Rock cruise every year since it's happened. The tenth is coming up next year, and I my job above and beyond whatever band intros that i do is to actually be out there with the people and connect with them and i don't hide i don't run in my cabin i mean it can get it can beat you up after a little while i'm not gonna (laughs) lie It, it, it can but because people also don't understand that like you know i am on there as an employee i am working for the promoter i have a schedule i have to be certain places at certain times so it's not a vacation for me. It's not a party for me, although I have a great time. Don't get me wrong. So, yeah, it can it can get a bit grueling. But at the same token, um, I, I'm out and about the whole time and doing what I have to do. And when I started my daily radio show on Sirius XM, that changed a lot of what I do on the cruise because 
I've been able to remarkably be able to do a live national radio broadcast from a moving cruise ship in the middle of the ocean. And we've been able to figure that out and I've done it successfully a number of times. So now a big component of the cruise as well is that I do my show every weekday from it. And it's a win-win because it fulfills my obligation to Sirius XM. And it also, uh, for the cruise, it's a great promotional vehicle for what's going on. And for all the bands, it's a great outlet for them to be able to come on and be on the radio with me. So ever since the last three years doing my show on there has added a whole new element to what I do on the ships. And because of that, the guy who produces Monsters of Rock has now extended invitations for me to be on all of his cruises, which I've done almost every one, because he wants me to do the radio show on there. And on the other cruises, I'm not as involved as a, as much as a host. I'm more there in the capacity of, you know, I'll intro a couple things, but mainly there to do my show and provide that sort of coverage for what he's doing. Very, very cool. I don't, I, I don't know if I, I know I didn't mention it uh, on the show yet, but you are now the, the, the trifecta. We have uh, had every host of that metal show on our program. Uh, you reminded me of that because Don said uh, he was very much a, a man of the people when he was on the boat. Yeah, Don came into it, I think, the the first, Don's probably done about the last four or five, the first four or five since it, when it started, I did, I was the only, well, I was, the, of the three of us, I was the only host, I was the original host of the whole thing, and then as the, as that metal show got more established, they reached out to Don and Jim about coming on board, Don did it for like a year or two without Jim. So it was just me and him. And then Jim finally came on board like three years ago. So Don's probably done like the last five. Jim's probably done like the last three. And I've done them all since it originally started. And in addition to the three of us, there's also a a couple other um, hosts that he has because he's had, he, he meaning Larry Morant, who runs this cruise, he literally has like 40 or 50 bands on this ship. So there's, five or six shows sometimes happening at the same time and there's there's the need for to spread out a lot of people and have them doing various things especially since i have the commitment of doing radio every day it Mm -hmm. frees me up for that a little bit more you know, uh, let's get to a little uh, business kind of industry stuff. Um, you have kind of a neat uh, perspective, I would think, being uh, one of the. There's not a lot of people that that are that are a regular radio hosts, especially with your extensive background, but also with the podcast and also being on Sirius XM. Is there a format you prefer? Uh, what are the benefits of of doing all that stuff, and and where do you kind of see things going? Well, for me personally, everything I do sort sort of feeds into the other. It's all somewhat music-based, and it's all I've ever done. It's all I've ever known. It's been my whole life. It's, it's funny because you mentioned Don and Jim, who are still great friends of mine. Their whole background is and their whole dream is stand-up comedy. They're yeah. comics. And that's what they were doing and pursued and continue to pursue. My whole world from day one has been rock music so everything i've done in my career has been to feed into that and it's still that way right now um the 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 daily show on sirius xm that i do on the channel volume has been about two and a half years in right now and it's been honestly one of 
my favorite things I've ever had the chance to do to spend a couple hours every day talking rock music, which people listening to this can clearly hear that I love to do, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, is and to get paid for it and, and have it as your full time gig has been a dream. Uh, so that's fantastic. And I do a six show on there that is a music show. So I get to actually play some of the music that I talk about. And, and then the podcast, the podcast is really just the repurposing of one interview from the Sirius XM show. If, if, if in, in any given week, I'll do anywhere from two to four interviews in the course of a week okay. as, as far as guests. And my deal with SiriusXM with that podcast is that I can cherry pick one and put it out a week after it airs as my podcast. So originally the podcast was started to be uh, the real reason I wanted to do a podcast was because I wanted to be able to interview artists and people that weren't going to fly on the radio, meaning they were a little out of format or just not big enough names or two inside. So I was like, okay, I'll do it as a podcast. And that's what I did when it first started. But once I started doing a radio show, like I do on volume every day, it really would be redundant to do an interview with someone and then have to say, okay, call me tomorrow. Let's do another interview just for the podcast. Sure. So I decided and I was able to make that in my deal with Sirius that I was able to repurpose that interview for a podcast. So really the podcast does that and it's great for people that don't have Sirius or XM to get a taste of what I'm doing. Hopefully they sign up and it's also great for people outside of the U S and Canada who can't get Sirius XM and can at least hear what I'm doing. So that's where the podcast comes in and that's how that all connects. And then the syndicated show which is in about 30 markets on FM radio. That is an all music show for the most part at this point. So that's another outlet that I actually can play music and expose music to people. And uh, obviously on the TV side, that metal show went away, but I was really lucky to roll into this show on access TV, which you know, many people say to me, well, it's not that metal show. <laughs> no, it's not. It's nothing to do with that metal show. And trust me, I tried and continue to try to find a new outlet for that show, but it's not mine. I don't own it. VH1 does. And in the meantime, I was offered this tremendous opportunity to do a show for access TV. And the second season premieres on July 7th at nine 30 Eastern. And it's covering music festivals. It's still music based. It gets me out of my comfort zone. It's because it's not just rock and it's more a travel show than anything. And it's been a absolute blast to do. And all of it feeds into each other. You know, it's I got a radio show that I can mention my TV show that can mention the TV show that can mention <laughs> the radio show. The podcast promotes the satellite show. Yeah. All of it promotes back to my social media. So it's a big circle that, uh, you know, makes everything, you know, connects nicely. And they're all their own entities, but they are all connected in a way in that it is all it's all music based. Well, you mentioned the TV show without, I think, mentioning the name. We're talking about Trunk Fest, and like you said, season two does uh, premiere on uh, Sunday, uh, July seventh at uh, nine thirty Eastern. Um, what a uh, explain the comfort zone thing. I, I've read the press release, but uh, why don't you let the listeners hear? Like, because uh, you're doing a lot of different kind of stuff this year, right? 
Yeah, if people saw the first season, they know what the show is. You're right. It's called Trunk Fest. Not my name, but the network liked it. So uh, Trunk like is matters. a is a German name. Trunk is my real last name, and yes, my dad's German. That's yes, where <laughs> score. So so, uh, but yeah, I mean they they uh, they meaning Access TV uh, is for people who get that channel. I understand. I realize everybody doesn't. Just like. I've had it off and on, depending on which streaming, you know, I, I, we, we cut the cord about four, four years ago. So I, you, you don't get it on Hulu, I know, but I do believe it's on Sling. It is on Sling, yep. And so for people who get Access TV, which is spelled A-X-S, it's, only, it's, a, it's a great, it's pretty much the last standing music-centric channel on TV. Sammy Hagar has a show on it. Dan Rather has a show on it. There's a countdown show on it. There's a bunch of uh, documentary music specials. There's a bunch of concerts on it. It's owned by Mark Cuban, and it is uh, just a great outlet for for music. And they approached me about doing this show. The whole concept was theirs, and they just wanted me to come in and host it and bring what I could to it. And it's basically the the concept is that we have more music festivals in America than we've ever had before. Some would say we have too many. We have music festivals going on and ways that people are seeing music that people don't even know about. And the big buzzword with festivals is experience. All of them are trying to prov provide stuff above and beyond who's playing, like rides and celebrity chefs and food and comics and beer beer and haunted houses and the settings and the cities and so this show is more about that than it is about the artists and who's playing and artist interviews i talk to an artist or two in every episode for a bit but it's more a travel show about what goes on around these music festivals in the first season i went all over the country i went to mexico and uh, a lot of genres of festivals which is something interesting for me because again, that they're quite honestly more than half the festivals I cover, I would personally never go to because there it's not, it's not hard rock music and that's what I love, but it's really good to get that experience and knowledge and, and exposure to what these other festivals are doing and how they're evolving. And the second season, uh, the show takes a long time to do because we have to wait for the festivals to come up. Yeah, I have to physically go there. It involves a lot of travel. And then they have to be edited and put on the air. And they want to bank them all before they start rolling them out. So the second season is more of the same for, as the first. Although we get even a little more diverse and do things like, like there's an episode from the Monsters of Rock Cruise. There will be an episode from a music festival coming up being held in a jail. There's a... Mm -hmm. uh, there's a there's an episode that's going to come from a rock and roll fantasy camp. It's all about the experience and how people are experiencing music and very much about getting me out of my comfort zone and having me actually do the things. There's no hair. There's no makeup. I look like a wreck. <laughs> I'm aware of that. That ship has sailed. I'm not worried about it. Shrub. <laughs> it. It doesn't matter. It's just like, get me out there and let's go for it. And, you know, uh, let the chips fall where they may, but it's been an absolute blast to do. And, uh, wait, 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 let me stop you for a second. You're telling me you do the full on festival experience. You pop up a tent, you sleep on dirt and no. you, you don't bathe for three days. No, Okay. no, no, no. All right. I, okay. I'm not a camp guy. I'm not, I need a room. 
and some AC and some climate control okay. and no bugs. But but I do I do you know I will go out there and do things as people will see in every episode yeah, okay. that I normally wouldn't do. But no, I don't I, I don't rough it in that sense. But it's <laughs> they're, they're long days and you know it's pretty Eating hot a soggy out there sandwich and, on the third day. Uh, What's that? Eating a soggy sandwich out of your cooler on day three. Yeah, <laughs> no, the it's real not, experience, Eddie. Yeah, it's not quite that hardcore. But I'm just saying, I do get out there with the people and do a lot of the activities, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, how, how many times do you think uh, over the course of shooting the show did uh, someone ask to get a picture with you? For, on the trunk fest show? Oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, just uh, on all these things. Well, on, on something like the Monsters of Rock Cruise, which is a direct hit to my audience and genre of music every pretty much every person two or three times <laughs> over which i'm grateful for yeah. uh on the on the tv show if it's if we're shooting at a rock show it's a rock festival yeah there's like sammy hagar's show which actually on july 7th that's the debut that's the first episode of season two is me at sammy hagar's festival in huntington beach and there and at like louder than life, which is a metal festival. So the, the rock ones and the metal ones, okay. yeah, everybody knows me, but when I, I just did an episode at uh, a festival called hangout in Alabama, that is, that'll be in season two. And it is very, very young, like late teens, early twenties is the demographic. It's a lot of dance music, Cardi B, stuff like that. Just completely out of my wheel. <laughs> and I spent, that was on the beach. And I spent the whole day shooting that thing. And the entire day, only one person even had a clue who I was. <laughs> and they, they stopped and they were there with their kid or something and wanted a picture. But outside of, and the first words out of their mouth is, what are you doing here? Yeah. You know? So it's, and a lot of times people see me at these festivals with the cameras on me and they're like yelling, Hey, that metal show's back. And I'm like, no, a different yeah. show. So it's been, it's been all good, but it depends upon the environment. My, the, the awareness for what I do is very much targeted towards the rock people. When I get outside of that, they really, they really have no clue. You know, the Japanese think every photo taken of you, uh, takes a bit of your soul. Well, I'm probably pretty soulless <laughs> by now. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the closest I've come to making you laugh. I've tried a couple yeah. times. Uh, um, you know, one thing we talk about on our show, we try to promote a lot of young bands and, and new music or things that aren't getting a lot of uh, attention. Uh, I loved your tweet. Uh, it was today or yesterday. I think it had to be yesterday because I was prepping for the show. Um, but something about it, it was a new band, like uh, the tide is turning or something like. And and you featured a band, uh, Dirty Honey. Um mm -hmm. What other bands, uh, like up-and-coming new bands, are you checking out? Well, there's a band that I just, and I tweeted about them about a week ago, and their name keeps escaping me. I think it's Like Machines or something like that. They're out of Atlanta. They have two songs out right now, both of which are really killer, sort of like an ACDC vibe. So I like them a lot. I just had a band in my studio called Bishop Gunn that are uh, in Tennessee right now, and they are really cool sort of Southern rock bands. I, I feel very, very, very optimistic about the, the wave of new young rock bands coming down the pike. And I think the tide is going to turn, and I hope these guys break through. But I'm hearing a lot of great guitar-driven, riff rock, sort of cool hard rock bands, very young all starting to make some noise 
And it's really, really encouraging if you're a rock fan. Yeah. A Dirty Honey I had in my studio not too long ago. Um, they're not new necessarily new, but they haven't broken through all the way. Uh, my two favorites by far are Rival Sons and The Struts. Nice. And neither of them are, are new, new, but they're still... No, that's in the wheelhouse of what I'm talking about. Yes, they're still bubbling, and but I think the two, my two favorites by far, Rival Sons and the Struts, and the one band. The even Struts though keep still, getting a little bigger every year. They come through uh, my city, and they're playing a bigger venue than the time they were here before. Yeah, they're very different, Rival Sons and the Struts. They're they're different. Oh kinds yes, of bands. yes. <laughs> where Rival, where the Struts are borderline pop at times, but but Rival Sons are more of like. Rival Sons sort of started the whole riff rock thing, and then Greta Van Fleet came out and then just blew it up. Yeah. But I'm still kind of on the fence about Greta, and I haven't seen Greta live, but I do give Greta complete credit for this whole thing happening because yeah. the business, whether you like them or not, you can't deny that they that they started this wave because of their immediate popularity. And the record industry has always been incredibly copycat, yeah. and it just took one to get that sort of thing going, and you knew that others were going to knock down the door and start happening, and I think that's exactly what you see going on. A ghost has gotten real big, and you were actually one of the first people to interview the singer uh, out of character. Yeah, Tobias, yeah. And again, Ghost, another band that I'm still kind of like personally on the fence about i'd like to see him make like a little heavier record come on eddie I'm, join us <laughs> but i'm not i like the thing with ghost and greta is i am all in and so happy for their success mm -hmm. i'm just talking for me personally as a fan sure I'm waiting, I'm waiting to hear something that personally blows me away but um I, I think both of those bands and their success is absolutely helping this wave that we're having. What about a band called The Glorious Sons, one of my personal faves right now? Yeah, I, I think I just saw them play with someone. I forget who Probably it was. Probably the Struts. They're on tour right now. <laughs> okay, well, they're, they'll they'll be with them soon then. I might yeah. see them. But I thought I, I think that they were on... I think that they were on the uh, one of the festivals I was at recently. Uh, Haven't had a lot of time uh, to listen to them just yet. Very again, stonesy. Other, oh, okay. Other bands that have been around though for a little while that are start that are great are like more on like the southern rock side. Blackberry Smoke. Charlie was just on my show. Blackstone Cherry is an arena act in England, and Amazing. you know they're doing quite well. And uh, I again, not a new band by any stretch, but I absolutely love Alter Bridge. And Alter Bridge, another band that is an arena act in England, and has a sixth record about to come out, and I think is starting to, you know, might really break through in America finally in a, in a bigger way. I think Alter Bridge, unfortunately, carried the stigma here in America of Creed with a different singer. And people have gotten past that a little bit and realize that they're, that they're their own band. Well, Eddie, you have given me so much of your time. Uh, you've actually surpassed one of my longest interviews I ever did. It was one of my favorite was Jakey e. Lee, but you've actually passed him. Um, so I really appreciate your time. But since I have you, uh, could I get, take a shot at stumping the trunk? Sure. Okay, now I did set some parameters for myself. It had to be a question that I could answer without looking up because I think if I really wanted to, I could probably stump you if I just dug deep and found some, some ridiculous thing, right? Sure, absolutely. Most people do. And and I also think because of your relationship to this band, I might have got a softball, but I'm going to give her a shot. 
Okay. I know you're familiar with the band Icon. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the record between uh, Night of the Crime and Right Between the Eyes? Uh, was it called A More Perfect Union? Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, two points for Eddie. Yes, it was. It was an independent <laughs> Arizona-only release. I think they, they re-released it on CD like a, a decade later or something like that. I actually was a fan of the first record um, back when it kind of came out in the in the mid-'80s there. Uh, and my mother lives in Arizona. They're an Arizona band. And they I thought they'd just kind of gone away. Um, and I saw it in a record store there, so I picked it up. It was like an independent release, but uh, that was my best shot. I figured, you know, hell, you know, I mean, I, I could, like, I could have, like I said, done some research and, and probably. Well, I'm it. a, I'm a big fan of that band, and I signed them to their third record. Correct, yeah. And and uh, I I I remembered getting that record as which I didn't even know existed when they were talking to me. This is over 30 years ago about that record deal. And I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, one or two songs from that, we ended up re-recording for the third record that I did with them. The ballad, for sure. I, I'm, the, the, the the titles are, are, are... Forever Young, yeah. Yeah, there you go. All right. As a matter of fact, the version of Forever Young that's on Right Between the Eyes, the album I did with Icon, is the same exact... I remember they tried to re-record it, but we actually liked the version from that record better. So I think we may have just remixed it, but we used the exact version from that record. They're, they're a band that really should have happened, and it's just, you know, it's it, it's a bummer they didn't. I've, I'm in touch with Dan Wexler from time to time, and I've even tried to help get them on something like the Monsters of Rock Cruise, which they were interested in, but I, I just don't know what their status is, and... I say this all the time on my radio show, as much as I love bands like Icon and things like that, I mean, it's really, really tough for bands from that era to get anywhere who did have hits in the 80s. When you're dealing with bands that had absolutely no success 30 years ago and they're trying to make a go of it, it's <laughs> literally impossible to get traction. So I understand you know, how tough it is, but I, I would love to see them play again. I think that they were really a very underrated band. Well, I can tell you from first-hand experience, it's tough to let it go. It, it is just, it is something that's going to be music. You know, whether it's someone like you or, or someone who's in a band like Icon or, or someone like myself who's kind of like dabbled and never got great success compared to you know either. It's just difficult to to disconnect yourself. I don't hunt. I don't fish. This is, I, I talk about music. I, I play music. I write songs. It, it's just, it, it's always going to be there, whether there's there's success or not. You just can't walk away. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah, it's in your blood. It's in your blood, right? Uh, before I go, did I miss anything? Did anything we have to promote for Eddie Trunk? I, I I tried to get everything. No, man, you did. I appreciate the time. It's great to talk to you. And and again, uh, if people have access TV, the big thing is the second season of the show. It'll be every Sunday night, nine thirty Eastern, six thirty Pacific, and. The Daily Show, they really, the two big things are that and The Daily Show on Sirius XM. You know, a lot of people know that I do a show on Mondays on Hair Nation. I've done that forever, and I like doing that, and I do that when I can. But for the last two and a half years, the real Sirius XM show has been The Daily Show, which is Monday through Friday, and it's live 2 to 4 Eastern, and it replays every night 9 to 11 Eastern. That has been so much fun to do, to have a live nationwide audience talking about rock taking calls having a yeah. different guest topics it's been a dream gig for me and uh 
uh, it's been it's grown tremendously. Once a month, I do the show from the Rainbow and the patio at the Rainbow. I go to L.A. once a month. I'll be doing that again next Tuesday. So it's it's been so many great opportunities and so cool that I hope that if you have Sirius XM, you're listening on 106. If you don't have it, hopefully you'll come on board. And people who only get the music channels, the, the, the most limited package on SiriusXM, that doesn't include what's called the entertainment channels, which is what my channel volume is. Yep. So like for three bucks a month more or something, you can get that and that'll include Howard Stern and all that stuff. So I hope that people will upgrade and, uh, and listen because I, I know that the show that I do on Mondays on Hair Nation is way, way popular and I appreciate that, but that's only a, a, a tiny bit of what I do actually daily now. And uh, it's been so much fun to do. So always like to get the word out about that as well. Thank you so much, Eddie. You, it's been a pleasure. You've been a good sport and thank you for all the show material. <laughs> you got it, Baco. Have fun with it. Okay. And Hey, I don't know if you're going to take the time to listen back. I'll throw at some point in one of the little bits that we did that, uh, that we uh, kind of re reenact one of the things you talk about on your radio show. No worries, man. And when you post this, send me the link and I'll put it up on social so people can you know know that it's there awesome it was a pleasure eddie thank you for your time you got it i got a body built for sin and an appetite for passion
prefer Jason or Baco? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 